Hey everyone, and welcome to another Overflow Pod. We're in our series on building character, and we've looked at making hard changes in your life, learning to see your blind spots, and breaking down destructive patterns in your life. And it's always been focused on yourself. But in this pod, it's going to be different. It's going to be focused on your relationship, specifically your marriage. Now, you may not be married, but I know you can apply the principles of what I'm going to talk about to benefit any relationship in your life. So marriage is a journey that should take you your whole life. When I got married, my pastor, who was also my mentor, said something in private to me that the greatest reward you can give me is to love your new wife. And when you eventually have kids, to love them more than you think is possible. And most of all, to love God, because he will give you the strength to love your wife and future kids. He also told me that there will be weeds that will sprout up in your relationship that you're going to have to deal with to have a rewarding marriage. He ended with hope I have given you all that you've needed to make it easily through your first year. My wife and I have been now married over 25 years. In the first year, marriage was pretty easy due to the counseling, but eventually weeds began to sprout. And I thought I'd be using this pod to talk about dealing with the weeds in your marriage or in your relationship. But as I started to write this, I realized that's not where you need to start. You see, weeds come, and since my wife and I have had some amazing premarital counseling, they didn't come for a few years until after we were married. And it wasn't that hard to fight them at the beginning, but as I look at my marriage, I realize that weeds are sneaky. And sometimes we don't think they're a big deal, and we just let them grow. And in fact, I've let some grow for the past 10 years. But weeds will eventually overtake everything that you have done unless you are proactive. So I'm going to split this into two pods. So next pod we'll be talking about getting rid of the weeds, but this one is you gotta want to get rid of the weeds. You gotta fight for your marriage, the fight to destroy any weeds that pop up immediately. Now, why is this a big deal? Because every marriage suffers from complacency. You get used to each other. And many times marriages simply fall apart due to neglect, neglecting to get rid of the weeds. But before we can fight the weeds, you have to have the desire to fight for your marriage. I look at my own experience. My parents got divorced after being married for 22 years. Why? Oh, they gave reasons. Irreconcilable differences, whatever that means. I know exactly what it means. It means you stopped caring for your your marriage years ago and eventually weeds just took over and you just want to get out. Do you want your marriage to work but you don't know how? You know staying together is the right thing to do, but everything in our society makes it easier to give up and move on. Even the way people talk about marriage makes you question whether staying together is even worth it. It's just a signed piece of paper. If you don't like being married, just get a divorce. It's that simple. It is easy for someone else to tell you to quit when the going gets tough, but only you are responsible for your decisions. And if you choose to fight for your marriage, God will fight with you. Throughout the Bible, God is described as our help, our shield, our fortress, and our strength. Psalm 33, the Bible promises that the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him and those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Why does God want you to fight for your marriage? We know God wants us to fight for our marriages because marriage was his idea. After making the earth, the animals, and man, God decided it was not good for Adam to be alone. So God created a woman and the first wedding ceremony in history. He introduced Adam to Eve. Genesis 2, 18 to 25 says, The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living 
creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. As I was reading that, I just had the weird thought. What if he named a dog Steve? What if he named a cat, like, Joanne? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I thought that was humorous. Anyway, so total tangent. If you ever wonder, like, weird stuff like that, you're not alone. I'm, I, I think weird stuff like that all the time. Anyway, the verse continues. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were naked, and they felt no shame. Thousands of years later, Jesus reminds his followers that marriage has always been more than a contract with God. Matthew 19, 5 and 6 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, marriage is a commitment between two people before God to spend a lifetime loving and serving each other for God's glory. The covenant we make in marriage was designed to mirror the unconditional, unshakable covenant between Jesus and us, as said in Ephesians 5. And that's why fighting for our marriage matters so much to God. As Christ followers, when we pursue our spouses, we are making the choice to put Jesus first in our lives. We're choosing to love our spouse and to love Jesus more than we love ourselves because of how he first loved us, by dying on a cross, by being a substitute that bears the penalty for all our sins, so that we can be forgiven by God if we, if we ask him. We are adopted into his family and spend eternity with him. And we're choosing to trust that God's design for marriage will exceed our own expectations. But we need to fight for it. We need to fight for our marriage and not just let the weeds come in and gradually take over. The question I have for you is, are you fighting for your marriage? Are you doing what it takes to fight for it? I have a friend who challenged me and said, you're not doing enough for our friendship. He went off on me, rightfully so, pointing out the things I have and haven't done that have harmed the friendship. He was correct in everything he said. And he was willing to do the tough tasks to save our friendship. He was willing to fight for it as I let the weeds grow in the relationship. Are you fighting for your marriage or your relationship? Or have you already let the weeds grow so high you can't see a way out? In order for your marriage to work, you gotta fight. I don't care how high the weeds are. You gotta fight for it. You gotta have the desire to fight. So how do you do it? I'm gonna give you five practical ways to fight. And I give these to you. This is how you fight for your marriage. And you gotta ask, are you willing to do it? Or are you just gonna give up? Because the weeds have taken over. You gotta fight for it. So let's look at these ways. Number one, never give up. Insert Jim Valvano's famous life creed here. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. There's a new movie coming out with uh, Ray Romano starring as Jim Valvano. you got to watch it. I'm sure it'll be great because it is a fantastic story. I just hope they do it well. Anyway, every marriage experiences difficulty. And these trials are meant to deepen our love for our spouse. Just as trials are meant to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ. Just see 1 Corinthians 7. If the trials seem like more than you can bear... It's okay to ask for help. See, God put friends in your life for a reason. If that doesn't help, you can even consider meeting with a professional counselor or opening up to an older married couple who can help you through the hard times. 
Any good relationship takes dedication, commitment, and communication. We have to want our marriage to be great and to want to strive to make it better, no matter our circumstances. I remember when I was first ordained as a pastor, a man came in telling me he wanted to save his marriage. He had lost his wife to another guy, and he would do anything to get her back for him and his young daughter. So we talked hour after hour, and I met with his wife time after time, and eventually she cried and truly confessed all the things she had messed up with. And she wanted to come back to the relationship. I thought, this is good. As long as they both fight for their marriage, no matter how difficult it is, they're going to succeed, even though it's going to be so hard as the emotions and the pain has probably just overwhelmed both of them. And I was excited because they had a young three-year-old who would not have to go through the pain of having divorced parents. But it was just a lie. It didn't last. When the wife came back and apologized profusely for months on end to her husband, her life turned into hell. Turns out the man fooled me as he didn't want to fight for his marriage at all. He just wanted her to feel his pain and even told me as much. He just wanted revenge. And after he got his revenge, he served her with divorce papers. He had given up because he, before he even came to me. He didn't want to fight. He just wanted to hurt her. Marriage can be very hard, especially if we let weeds grow for a long time. But it really is never too late if you fight for it. I feel for that broken woman who was truly repentant and truly felt terrible and finally wanted to fight for her marriage while her husband all along didn't even care. So just don't give up. Don't ever give up. Because if you don't give up, there's still a chance to fight for your marriage. I knew another couple. That, that didn't give up. And both of them were, let's just say that they did not, the weeds grew strong on both sides. And somehow, some way, they decided, you know what, we're going to fight for our marriage. Year after year, they put up with difficulties and they dealt with it. They're still married after 30 years. Yeah, I look at them and I shake my head going, how? I don't know if I could have fought that hard. They went through so many ups and downs, but they did it. So don't give up. Don't ever give up. Number one. Number two, fight for your marriage, not in your marriage. The more you invest in your marriage, the more valuable it will be to you. When you invest in it and value it, you're going to fight for it. Two ways you know you're fighting for your marriage and not in your marriage is you first focus on yourself. What needs to change in you before pointing out what needs to change in your spouse? Try not to use the word you when you're arguing. Instead, focus on the word I. For example, I know that I've been doing this and I'm sorry. Instead of, you know you shouldn't do that and you need to apologize. One of the best things I've ever done for my marriage is I always try since day one of our relationship to diffuse the problems by admitting where I fail first. Talking about where I mess up helps her open up about where she messes up. Because when you put together two messed up, selfish, sinful people together in a house, you're going to have problems. And they're further complicated by with whiny, selfish brats that we lovingly call our precious little babies. And you have a recipe for disaster. Take responsibility for the part of your problem that you eliminates a lot of fighting in your marriage. And then you turn into fighting for your marriage. Even if it's almost completely your spouse's fault, which it hardly ever is. 
you know, I don't think I've ever had a, an argument or a situation where it was 99% my wife's fault. It's always more than that. I mean, it's always, I'm sorry, it's always less than that. You know, I always have something that I've done that I've heard it because I'm a selfish, sinful person. And if I truly look at myself and I'm truly honest with myself, that's part of the problem. So I take responsibility for my part of the problem. And you know what that does? It eliminates a lot of the fighting in the marriage because it just does. And when I do that, then whatever problem, whatever part of responsibility that my spouse or my wife has, then it's much easier for her to admit it because I've already said I was wrong. I've already said I've messed up. It's very simple to do it. So fight for your marriage, not in your marriage. Third, guard your marriage. God is constantly drawing people to himself and one day Jesus will return to earth to put an end to our world's sin and brokenness. But in the meantime, Satan will do anything he can, including attacking marriages in an effort to make Christians ineffective and distract non-Christians from Jesus' author of salvation. Marriages are vulnerable to Satan because they're valuable to God. If Satan can create disunity between a husband and wife, he can cause believers and non-believers alike to question God's good design for relationships. you got to remember, Satan's first language is deceit. It's lying. It's creating doubts like, does he really mean it when he says, I love you? One of the best ways to guard your marriage against Satan's attacks is to guard your mind. When Satan tries to question your spouse, remember the Apostle Paul's advice, Think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admiral. If it's excellent or praiseworthy, think about that. Sometimes you have to protect what you have and say, this isn't good. We let things into our marriage that shouldn't be there. We let people near us into our marriage that we should hold at arm's length. Or maybe develop a plan in order to deal with them. I know whenever I do premarital counseling, I always talk about guarding your marriage. And I know who I start with, the spouse's family because it is hard to give up your child to someone else. And inevitably, no matter how great the parents are, they will overstep their bounds and intrude on their kid's marriage. So I tell them they need to guard against their own parents. And if you have to guard and protect your spouse against the people that love you the most, what does that tell you about other people and things? If you wanna to start to guard your marriage, simply ask the question, what am I doing? And if you don't have an answer to that, you're probably doing nothing. You're letting things around you or people around you that are actively hurting your relationship. So smack yourself in the head and say, what am I doing to guard my marriage or guard my relationship? Fourth, pursue your spouse. The more you feed something, the faster it grows. The more you starve it, the faster it dies. Pursuing your spouse is how you feed your marriage. Just like a healthy plant has deep roots that help it withstand droughts, cold fronts, and all sorts of storms, a healthy marriage is deeply rooted in love, allowing it to withstand all kinds of conflict. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So what does loving each other deeply look like? Ask your spouse what makes him or her feel loved. Then do what they say. Be intentional about it. Make your spouse your first priority after Jesus, remembering that when you feed with your time and attention is what will grow. If you want your marriage to be stronger than your career, you got to feed it more. If you want your relationship to be strong after the kids move away, put it first in your family. 
So I used to really pursue my wife romantically and relentlessly, but you know what happens? It kind of dies off. And ours is kind of unique because my wife actually killed it. She said, you don't have to do those things anymore. And to be honest, she she killed it for us. Now, the problem was is she, I think she, I misunderstood her. And I think she misunderstood herself. It's not that she didn't want me to still pursue her. It's that the idea of romance changed over time. And I just now started to realize it. <laughs> romance for her is cleaning up after myself, doing all the dishes, picking out dinner without asking her, taking her out for a date unexpectedly. But I failed here because I just let the weeds grow and kids destroy all pursuit. They're like massive offensive linemen that block my pursuit of my wife with their schedules, their attitudes, their requirements, you name it. It is tough to pursue your spouse with kids around. But even though I've messed up, I can still pursue her. It's not too late because she's still here. So no matter where you are in your relationship, pursue your spouse. Do what they want. Do what they can. Show your love. Pursue them and say, you know what? Just because I married you so many years ago, you are still more than I can ever imagine. Number five, pray for your marriage, for your spouse, and for yourself every single day. This one is so important. This is by far the most important out of these five ways to fight for your marriage. I cannot begin to tell you how big a deal this is because prayer is a vital role in fighting for your marriage. It is a weapon Satan cannot stand up to. See, prayer aligns your actions with God's will. It strengthens your obedience and faith to overcome your selfishness. When you actively pray for something or for that person, it changes the way you think about them, which changes the way you behave, which change your actions and your feelings. And as you pray for your spouse and yourself, ask God to help you see your spouse through God's eyes and to help you fix the things you need to become more like Jesus. Let God transform you while trusting him to do the same for your spouse. See, we look wrongly at each other through our own lens. And the way you should always observe people is through the lens of God, how he views us. Because if you can do that, it's, it'll be so much different how you interact with them. Romans 12, 9 through 12 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. If you simply do this last one, most important one, and eventually the other four are going to follow. So are you going to fight for your marriage? It's not that difficult. Just do these five things. Never give up. Fight for your marriage, not in it. Guard it. Pursue your spouse. Pray for your marriage, for each other and yourselves. Because if you do those things, you have a stand, a chance against the weeds that are going to pop up, which we're going to talk about next week. So I hope you do these five things so that you'll be ready as we look at weeding our marriages in our next pod. I hope this encouraged you and God bless and see you next week.